What is up, fam? Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Phil Sarpon. This is Phil's Guide to Side D. This podcast is dedicated to all things clinical psychology, wellness, and graduate school. If you guys haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also show your love and support on the YouTube channel where you can like and subscribe to the video as well. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Bree. You guys may know her from her YouTube channel. She has a YouTube channel called Becoming Dr. Baker, where she talks about her life as a counseling psychology PhD student. So in this interview, we talk about the differences between clinical and counseling psychology. So before we go into the interview, let me share a little bit more about Bree. She is a second year doctoral student in the counseling psychology PhD program at Columbia University. She was born and raised in North Carolina. She graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill with an undergrad degree in psychology and African-American community health and resilience. Prior to beginning her doctoral studies, she worked as a public health analyst at RTI International, where she focused on community and policy level interventions related to health equity, school-based mental health promotion, and violence prevention. Her research interests broadly include social political determinants of mental health, positivity for black youth development, and the social historical racial trauma through community-focused program development. Aside from her academic and professional interests, Brie enjoys acting in theater arts, writing short stories, volunteering, adventuring with her dog Zola, and attempting to solve murder mysteries on Reddit. So with that, guys, let's go ahead and jump right into the interview with Brie. All right, Brie, how are you doing? doing well <laughs> that was a very loaded response but yeah i'm doing well it's a very i know it's a very general question but um first of all i just mm -hmm. want to thank you so much for being here with us today i know you are a doctoral student so your your life is very busy so <laughs> i really appreciate the time thank you yeah of course no i was really excited when you reached out to me and happy to be a part of this and of course just when do doc students get to talk about themselves? You know, never. <laughs> there we go. No, it's awesome. So I'd love to start out. I know that you were a psychology major in college. Uh, I'm a little bit more curious about why you decided to pick psychology as your major. And if you already knew that you were going to be a counseling psychologist, even in college. That's a, that's a good question. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I was always drawn to psychology. I, don't know exactly what it was about it. It was just so interesting to me that people studied other people's minds and their own minds. Like to me, the choice was so obvious. Um, I probably knew by seventh or eighth grade that psychology was an interest of mine. Definitely didn't know that it required so much schooling because <laughs> I probably would have picked something else <laughs> at that time. Um, but yeah, I think in the beginning I was interested in just human behavior in general. So I'm the youngest and I always felt like my parents treated me differently. And so I remember pulling up a list of facts on birth order <laughs> and sending it to them about, um, just like using psychology and why they, why my parents treated me differently based on my gender. 
don't know why I was doing this at 12 years old, but that's what I found interesting. Yeah. And then it kind of evolved into um, learning about my own experiences where I grew up. I grew up in a very homogeneously white community. And so me trying to understand myself um, and understand why other people treated me the way that they did, uh, why I felt so isolated in certain places, why I felt unsafe despite being physically secure, you know, like what it was going on mentally. Um, all those things that I have words for now, but didn't at, you know, 17, 18. Um, so yeah, it, and then I know I was going to be a counseling psychologist. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> wow. Okay. So what was the applicate? Like when you were a senior in, in college, like, were you applying just to counseling psychology programs? Were you applying to clinical psychology programs? Like what was the mindset for you as you were thinking about your career? Yeah, so I got involved in research probably my sophomore year of college. I really liked it. Um, I was doing work on academic achievement and racial identity and just seeing how black and brown youth um, thought about themselves and how that influenced how they did in school. And then eventually my work evolved from there, but that's where it started. And I yeah, I was interested in that. And I realized that I guess I had to get this PhD thing um, in order to conduct the studies that I wanted to, because I was really drawn to the research component. Um, but I didn't really understand the difference between clinical and counseling at the time. So for me, where I went to school, there was only a clinical psychology graduate program. And I hadn't been exposed to counseling psychology. Actually, I think there's a little bit of like friendly rivalry between the two disciplines. Yeah. So um, whenever I would mention, oh, this is a counseling program, should I apply? The response was always kind of like, mm, why don't you try this clinical one over here? So long story short, I only applied to clinical programs, but I applied to clinical and clinical community programs, my first application cycle. Oh, I see. Okay. So... <laughs> What was the first application cycle like for you? Was that, did you realize that, you know, you wanted to switch to counseling or what, what happened there? Oh, wow. I will tell you. So I actually didn't know I wanted to be a counseling psychologist until interview season of my second cycle. I really did oh, not sure. know. Wow. Okay. I didn't know what was going on. Um, basically. So that first application cycle, only clinical, clinical community type programs. There was one program where you could get your master's in public health in addition to your um, PhD in clinical psychology. So I always had an interest, I think, in community level and systems level um, integration within behavioral health science, but I wasn't sure how to do that. I don't know. <laughs> um, so my first application cycle, I think for me, I mean, it didn't go well, obviously I had to do it twice, but I, I think I just didn't have my research interests fleshed out probably to the extent that they should be. I didn't know exactly what it was that I wanted to do. I needed more refining. I needed um, probably more time to pick programs that actually fit with what I wanted because I was kind of just throwing like a shot in the dark. Like I didn't know <laughs> I knew I was interested in black people. So I just applied to a couple people who were doing stuff with black people, but it ranged from, you know, health psychology to neuropsychology. I was just all over the place. Yeah. So that first application cycle was a lot of learning on my end. 
No, I honestly, I really appreciate that because I think a lot of times for applicants, they feel like there's this ideal candidate in their mind of like a perfect applicant and like all of these schools are looking for the, the, the most ideal perfect person. But then when I look at my cohort, I see a bunch of people who took like a lot of gap years uh, before they applied to graduate school. They took like 10 years or 15 years working in the actual workforce and just getting experience before they applied. And so I just think that it's, it's cool when you see like people in your cohort or people in different programs coming from all different walks of life and having different experiences. And so it just, it, I don't know, like for me, I felt super insecure that I, I wasn't going into graduate school right away from college. But then I go into graduate school and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many other different experiences and opportunities that people have gone through in their own walks of life to get to this point. So, Yeah, I can't agree with you more. I mean, I think whoever started the myth that you had to go to grad school right after you graduate college, like they should be canceled. I <laughs> just... I remember feeling like that rejection meant so much to me because I was like, I can't do this thing that I thought everybody else could do. Uh, I don't know. Thinking that at 22, I was supposed to be getting a PhD, which now sounds absurd, but that just sounded right. And I saw other people doing it. And so I figured I would just do it as well. And when the rejection came, it was kind of like, whoa, where do we go from here? Like, how do we... <laughs> rebuild is this something I should pursue still or is this rejection a sign that I should be doing something else hmm. well it's amazing because it's like obviously there was a plan because now you are in your counseling psychology PhD program <laughs> and it's uh, it's an Ivy League school which is incredible and so now you get to kind of pursue your dreams in that way how how has it been for you being in in graduate school I know you're a second year doctoral student uh, what what has it been like for you so far yeah, it's <laughs> a whirlwind. I think getting that acceptance was amazing. It happened on Valentine's Day of 2020. And I was just like, wow, this is the best love letter I could receive right now <laughs> is an acceptance to Columbia. Um, and, you know, just I remember that period of time being so exciting for about three weeks and then the world shut down. And it was like, wait, what's going on? Am I still going? Am I... I just remember being so confused, but also at the time, very hopeful. It's like, what is this COVID thing? You know, it'll go away. Like I should still be apartment hunting in New York city, blah, blah, blah. And of course that didn't happen. Um, so my graduate school experience has been not what I expected um, in both good and bad ways. So I ended up moving back in with my parents. I had been living alone, but with the world shutting down, it felt so isolating to continue living on my own. And so I lived with my parents. I stayed in North Carolina. I didn't move to New York City my entire first year, um, which made things interesting and <laughs> just doing grad school on Zoom, especially, you know, in counseling and clinical programs where learning skills to talk to people, things that you would think you could only do in person, because at the time that's all there was was in person. Um, so I think it's been a lot of learning and readjusting and so much personal growth and reflection, um, in the last like two years, year and a half than I've ever had to do. So, wow. Well, yeah, I, I think I can kind of relate to that. I also went into my program during 2020 and obviously there was not only a lot happening in the world with the pandemic, but also just like 
even in the US with like politics and like the racial stuff and all there was just so much going on and so like to like buckle down and focus on a doctoral program at the same time to figure out all the of the things that were going on in the world was like it was overwhelming for sure how did you were you able to find like a support system in graduate school like were you able to find uh, whether it was mentors or people around you that you feel like you you could have like really vibed with and gone through the experience with? Yeah, I think, um, thank you for naming that, first of all. I think the sociopolitical context in which we began graduate school was one of incredible emotional turmoil and just worldwide disturbance. <laughs> um, and it was difficult, especially that first semester. Um, and then starting the second semester with an insurrection, it's like, wait, what? Like, um, as soon as I started graduate school. Um, but I did find a support system. I, I found it through my cohort and I found it through social media as well. Um, I think what happened was my um, advisor told me he was going on sabbatical for my first semester. And I remember just being like, oh my gosh, here I am in North Carolina. I'm 500 miles away from the school. I don't have an advisor. What do I do? <laughs> like I was terrified. Um, but my cohort and my lab mates, they really, really just held me up. I mean, we held each other up during this time. And it was such an interesting way of making like Zoom relationships because I'd never met any of these people. <laughs> uh in person but by september i was taking a flight to new york city to go meet some of them and <laughs> spending the night sleeping in the same bed we got close real quick so um <laughs> i think i was able to find that support system just through classmates and um on twitter i think that's when i started using twitter a little bit more uh when black and mental health was also taking off as well and yeah, those spaces were so important to my well-being because it was such an isolating time. That's yeah, that's honestly, I, I feel like for me too, like the social support was huge uh, in, in being able to like actually get through that time. I'd love to learn a little bit more about the counseling psychology PhD. So I, I've been getting questions all the time about the differences between counseling psychology and clinical psychology. And there's, I think, a lot of misconceptions that maybe you can talk about uh, between the two fields. Um, from my perspective, the fields are really, really, really similar. Uh, in fact, <laughs> in, my, in my graduate program, uh, it's a PsyD program. And so there's PsyD faculty members as well as counseling uh, psychology uh, faculty members as well, and also clinical psychology PhD members. And so when I look at the field, I see counseling and clinical psychology, people working in basically the same context, the same treatment centers, the same mental health communities, all of those things. And so I'm really fascinated to see what your, what your perspective is about the difference between counseling and clinical psychology. Yeah, um, fantastic question. I also love the way you just put that together. You're like, it's so similar. Why, why is there so much separation, <laughs> it seems like? And, and that's a tough question because part of me is like, I don't know why. 
part of me also knows it's because of the history of counseling psychology kind of branching off of clinical and kind of looking at more strengths-based approaches to wellness and well-being as opposed to a deficit-based and kind of a medical model. Um, so counseling had a different kind of pedagogical, uh, did I say that right? I don't know, but a different <laughs> kind of like approach to what wellness is, what well-being is, um, what health is in general for people. And counseling psychology really took off, um, I guess, after World War II. Um, so a lot of VAs were looking to hire psychologists more because of the effects of uh, war on the mental health of veterans. And that's where counseling psychology was like, oh, we'll go in and we're going to help build these people up um, by finding their inner resources and their strengths to become functional humans, you know, again, integrate them back into society post-war. Um, so that's kind of maybe some of the origins from what I remember in Psych 101, but we'll see. Hopefully that checks out. Um, I think that the differences, maybe I should start with the similarities, actually, because there are a lot, like you said. We both can work at all the same places, hospitals, college counseling centers, community mental health clinics, uh, prisons, um, everywhere. We do basically the same work. It's just a different approach. Um, I think that maybe some of the differences come in with, um, the coursework. So there's a lot more coursework for me, at least, and this is counseling and clinical PhD programs. I'm not sure about society. Um, so I can just speak from that lens, but for coursework, we have a lot of courses on the actual art of counseling. Um, we have to take like classes on foundational skills, which I think most clinical and counseling programs have, but we also take courses on facilitating groups on, um, different practicums, dealing with different groups of people as well, whether it be children, whether it be parents and children, whether it be different modalities. So we just do a lot of clinical counseling focused work. Um, we also have a really strong, we as in counseling psychologists <laughs> have a really strong um, focus on multiculturalism and kind of integrating social dimensions and social influences and determinants of mental health into how we approach uh, the wellness of a person. It's a very comprehensive and holistic type of, um, I keep saying the word approach. I'm trying to look for a different word, but <laughs> approach to how uh, we hope for people to get better and to be healthy. But with that, there are plenty of clinical programs that also have that integration. I think I'm speaking more so from like a field wide or like a bird's eye view of each field and what I would say the differences and similarities are. I find that there's more variation between different clinical programs than there are between the clinical and counseling fields. Um, a lot of times clinical programs will be in the psychology department of a university. And a lot of times the counseling psychology program will be in the school of education. And that's just a difference in understanding of human health and behavior. Not really sure why that is other than clinical has more origins in a medical science whereas counseling has more origins in a social science, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that was a, an incredible explanation. <laughs> I, I think it, it is such a common question, and I think the only response that I've been able to give people is that, yeah, like they're really similar, but they're kind of unique and different, but it also depends on the program that you choose and that you go to. And I think you were someone that, that told me about just even like for counseling and clinical psychologists, 
at the end of the day, we, we all take the same licensure exam, right? Yeah. And so the EPPP, which is the licensure exam for clinical psychologists, PhD, and PsyD, as well as counseling PhD students, that's the exam that we all take. And at the end of the, after we pass that exam, we're psychologists. And so therefore we can work in different settings uh, or in the same settings, but we still have that same title, which I think is like really interesting. Yeah, and no one tells you that until you get into it. And it's like, wait, what? I could have saved all this headache before. <laughs> like we're all applying for the same internships. We all apply for the same externship or field work, practicum, whatever it's called in your program. We all do the same exact work, same clinical hours, same assessment hours as well. And it's just mind blowing to me that there's been such a, such a focus on separating the two when they're that similar. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what I've also been telling people too is that, especially if they're trying to figure out where to apply, right? Uh, I know for me, like, I kind of look back on when I was applying. I only applied to PsyD programs. Okay. And I and I kind of wish that I broadened my perspective and my horizon with just applying to maybe some counseling psychology programs or some PhD programs. Um, I picked the PsyD programs just because I felt like, well, they had a larger cohort size, and so it would give me a, a, a better chance to get in. Mm -hmm. But I, I think I kind of, uh, I, I think I kind of duped myself because I feel like mm -hmm. I should have probably looked a little bit more at my options. And so I think that's one thing, if I could go back, I would tell people to not discount counseling or clinical psychology programs and maybe just think about kind of looking at all the different fields and seeing what they have to offer and seeing basically yeah the the emphasis or the focus of what they're actually teaching their students yeah i could not agree with that more i feel like i even wish so my second application cycle i applied to all clinical except for two counseling programs and i only applied to the counseling programs because i could not deny the fit that i had with the the advisors or the people doing the research and the program goals. And I was like, oh, I'll just try this counseling thing. But it, I didn't think I would end up in one. I'm like, if I'm applying to 10, you know, clinical and two counseling, what are the odds? But after interviewing, I was like so captured by both of the counseling programs I applied to. And I wish that I had broadened my search as well to include more of those. Yeah. No, so I mean, that's it's really cool. And I hopefully like people that are listening in who are applying can kind of get a better idea of, of those two programs. So Brie, obviously, you're someone that is your, your second year doctoral student, you have all of these things going on for you, you have your, your YouTube channel, uh, Becoming Dr. Baker, which you started, did you start that channel right before you went into your program? I did. I did. I had to think about that for a second. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I would love to know, like, what I guess your career goals are with that in terms of as you become a psychologist in the future and then also with the social media stuff, because that is sort of a, a new, a, a unique space to be in. Right. So, yeah, I'd love to know more about how you want to, like, utilize those two things. Question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I'm still, I'm figuring it out. You know, I really enjoy um, creating. I really enjoy increasing accessibility through social media or through media in general. And I like increasing um, just 
the wealth of diverse Black narratives through creating videos, creating uh, writings, or, or just different mediums that aren't academic journals, because I personally find those uh, pretty boring <laughs> and, and inaccessible to most people, you know, I want to do things that are actionable. I want to do things that are creative, that are impactful, that are useful to the people that I hope to serve. Um, so I feel like my work has so many different arms to it. You know, I enjoy research. I really do. And I would love to one day create maybe like community interventions or community level interventions um, for people who are struggling, but using more of a collective lens to healing. Um, that's one thing that I think would be interesting. I also think it'd be interesting to one day, I think I said uh, in an essay, like have my own production studio where I'm coming out with PSAs or different types of videos or just like Black art and Black mental health and the arts and communication. So I, it's not fleshed out, but it's something that, you know, I'm passionate about. Um, and then the other part of that is health policy. So I am interested in, again, not just the personal and community levels, but the structural levels. Like I am really fascinated by the impact that research can have on making equitable policies so that, you know, at the structural level, we're saying we care about you. We got you, you know, and like, what will it take for the government or for um, just other policies that are in place to really care about citizens of that country or just people living in this country? What does that look like? And how can psychological research impact how decisions are made at the structural level? So with all that, I have no idea exactly what I want to do, but I do know the impact that I want to make. And it's one that is very broad um, and vast, but something that is super, super impactful and that people can feel. Mm, that's awesome. That's really, really <laughs> cool. I love the multicultural aspect because I think that even in the field that you're going into, like you're not just thinking about individuals, you're thinking about communities and groups of people and how they interact with each other. And I think sometimes psychology can be so sort of individual or oh, you just do therapy with one person but sometimes <laughs> you forget about the collective and the cultures and all of the societies that go on so that's that's incredible I, I'm I'm interested to see how that goes for you I mean that's that's really <laughs> cool both, yeah <laughs> <laughs> well I you but, know I think no. I think it's cool because it's like you doing the social media stuff like it's 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 unique like there's not a lot of people doing that and so you're kind of like I think a pioneer in terms of navigating your own path and so it's it's I think it's perfectly normal to feel like well I'm just kind of taking it one step at a time because I feel like I can totally relate to that I think when I started this channel I just wanted it to be like a resource for people and now it's kind of like it's it's basically led the way like I'm I'm like oh I'm just kind of like letting it take its 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 pace or whatever and so I just think it's cool like for people who have those perspectives of wanting to combine different elements of social media that they can do that in a really powerful way and so even if it's not super <laughs> paid for you like you can still kind of navigate that space yeah definitely definitely i wouldn't have it any other way you know if you don't fit in then you just have to create your own path and that's perfectly fine 
have you had any pushback like in terms of like having the social media space and pursuing your your career goals or has that been fairly like um encouraged <laughs> um hmm, this is an interesting question because it's yes and no i sometimes honestly a lot of pushback comes from myself <laughs> I think that I have a tendency to kind of doubt what I'm doing. Uh, there was a period when I first started YouTube videos, and I don't know if you can relate to this at all, Phil, but like when you put out that video and you're like, oh no, what did I just do? Like, I need to delete this as soon as I put it out. Um, because there are so few people doing this and you wonder if you're doing it right, but there's also no model for if it's right and what this means. And am I less of an academic because I'm trying to enter another space, you know, just trying to, for me, I think that I often would gatekeep myself from being able to like realize my full potential as both, you know, a researcher, as a scholar, as an influencer <laughs> or whatever. Um, so I think that, yeah, I've experienced that. I've definitely experienced, um, I wouldn't say pushback, but just a general not understanding of what it is that I do. I think, um, yeah, people don't get it. They don't really get the whole social media thing or why I feel the need to post about uh, certain topics or experiences that I'm having, or shouldn't I be using that time to write a manuscript, <laughs> like things like that. Um, but, you know, those are instances where I can educate others and hopefully shed light on the fact that like, you know, a researcher does not have to look and act a certain way. Like there's so many types of researchers out there, so many types of academics, so many types of clinicians that wish to use their practice or their knowledge in a different way. And that should be encouraged. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know for me, like even when I was trying to pursue clinical psychology, like I was looking for resources on social media, like Instagram <laughs> places, YouTube places. And I was looking for those things because I, I couldn't really figure out where I wanted to go with my career. And so those channels and those things were giving me ideas and a little bit of a, a better way to like really picture myself actually in those positions or actually in graduate school. So I know that there's, there's pros and cons, obviously, of social media and technology. But I think for you and the people that are out there that are trying to use it for good and trying to use it to shed knowledge and, and share information, I think is really powerful. So I really appreciate what you're doing. I think obviously from your <laughs> channel, a lot of people do too as well. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, thanks. And likewise, I mean, it's really become, I think at the time that we both started making videos, like it became like a special like niche, like people were doing it before. I mean, that's how I got the idea from Renee's Corner. You should check her out. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like it really blew up, I feel like during the pandemic. I don't know. <laughs> Something about the pandemic had, you know, gave people some ideas, <laughs> <laughs> which is awesome, which is awesome. Yeah. So, you know, this is a question that I ask a lot of people, but in terms of your well-being, so Obviously, graduate school can be stressful. It can be intense. Uh, anything that you do for your wellness, whether it's for your mind, your, your emotional health, like what are some things that you do for yourself that you would encourage other people to look into as well? Yeah, good question. I think, you know, you touched on it earlier, this idea of the social support and how important that is. 
I think that for me, I work and live very relationally. I'm from a collectivist background. I think that way. Um, and I think that, you know, there's self-care and another part of that is collective care. And that's seeing your well-being um, as influencing that of your neighbors or that of the systems and communities that you're a part of. So all that to say, a lot of my self-care involves my friends, <laughs> a lot of it. Um, so my roommate is also in my cohort and, you know, we have dinner together most nights. We um, are also training for this half marathon together. Um, it's those moments that make me really happy. Um, it's just finding someone to spend that time with or Yes, I have alone time, plenty of that. Graduate school is isolating and <laughs> you do need to regroup. But for me, like I just gain so much from getting to be with the people that I love. And I think that I try and prioritize those social connections as much as possible because it's so easy to get bogged down in your work and not come up for air and not, you know, say hello. And I had to be so intentional about that because during the pandemic, it was just me and my laptop and that was it. And I made it a point that when I got here to New York, I was like, no, this can't be my life. I can't work 13 hours a day anymore. Wow. Yeah, no, that's super inspiring because I know I can relate to that too. I feel like for me, like when I start going into school and work, I just get into the zone, but then I forget like that, you know, I got to check up on my family too. You know, I got to check up on my friends. I got to see how people are doing. And then in doing that, like in checking on people and having that social aspect mm -hmm. of my life, it's so much more, it gives back to me. It like recharges me up in a way that I couldn't do on my own. So I, I totally relate to that, that social space and that social dynamic. So. Yeah. And like realizing that you're doing this PhD for more than like yourself, I think it's so easy for me at least to be like, oh, like I'm doing this. It's me. Like I, I, but no, it's like, it's my community. It's my family. It's, I'm also doing this with people like in my cohort and in the program. Like there is so much benefit to realizing that it's not just you and your problems. Yeah. It's you're surrounded by people. And I feel like that just makes it so much more bearable um and also just yeah it just makes me dedicate more time um, and energy to those relationships because they're that important anything that you are looking forward to in in 2022 like any growths personal growths that you uh hope to really go through for yourself or any any books that you've read recently that you'd like to share for for the audience uh let's see I'm looking over here because that's where my bookcase is. I'm like, what have I read? Um, I think that, so I'm trying to do this thing with reading, first of all, is that I tend to read books that are usually like psychology, self-help type books. They're like, I don't know, or I'm reading about oppression and racism. And I'm like, okay, Brie, like you don't have to do this all the time. So I've actually started reading more like mysteries and thrillers <laughs> and trying to like create some distance um, in that realm. So I feel like for 2022, I don't know, I have to go back to 2020 real quick where I thought that my, my purpose, my passion, my professional life, my personal life all had to be integrated into one. I thought that was going to make me strong in each area. 
And actually I'm finding that in 2022, I'm kind of picking them apart again, because when they got a mesh like that, it made everything so, so daunting and it made everything so, um, I'm looking for a word right now. I can't think of it, but it was a challenge for me because everything felt like it had such a weight to it. I had to succeed in every area. I've had to succeed in my professional life because that meant something about me as a person. Um, so I feel like in 2022, I'm actually, I'm separating these different parts of myself again and falling in love with my, my profession again, falling in love with things in my personal life again, falling in love with just my passions and realizing that they all don't have to be the same and lead to the same thing. They're just me. I feel like I talked really abstractly there, but... <laughs> No, that totally makes sense. I'm sure that gives you like freedom too, because it's like, okay, I'm not in this box where I have to put myself in and I have to like act a certain way or do a certain thing. Like now I have the freedom to kind of go into what I, what my passions are. And that that's probably a lot, like really freeing, I'm sure. It is. It is. It's very liberating because, you know, before it was, I didn't even realize I was boxing myself in, but I was because I wanted to have a narrative that was cohesive and coherent and just be this one thing and represent this one thing. Like I am the social justice girl. That is who I am. And everything must be a political statement. <laughs> and now I'm like, you know what? Like, actually <laughs> that is really constraining. And I would rather read a thriller book and go volunteer at a dog rescue and chill out with my friends, eat some tacos, and not have that be a political statement, actually. <laughs> like, that's not that's not what I want anymore. So my 2022 is just rediscovering Brie and all of what that means. That's amazing. Yeah. You are a full person outside of graduate school as well. <laughs> I've had to tell myself that multiple times, multiple times. So yeah, I can totally relate. So it, it's honestly, it's really cool because I think like for me, graduate school has definitely like I've grown as a person even through the program. And it's kind of crazy to think that I'm, you know, we're already two years into it. And we um, so our program has two more years to go. And then the internship, I know your your guys's program, like you mentioned, is a little bit longer, like three, another three yeah, years two more years and then internship. Yeah. Oh, OK. So, huh. it's, yeah, it's the same amount of length. So it's like. It's just crazy to think that like, okay, we're halfway through and yeah, like before we know it, it'll just be like that. But we'll be so like completely different people than when we started in a good way, right? Like we'll, we'll have way more experience, we'll have way more wisdom. And so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool road to go on. I know it's tough, but it, it's cool to see and meet people like you who are kind of facing uh, the same things, so. Yeah, for sure. Couldn't have said it better myself. And again, I'm really happy that you reached out. It's just cool to see other like creators in the space as well, to see other like black and brown faces in the space as well, because it is very sparse. Um, and so yeah. I'm just glad that I know from some of our phone conversations as well, you know, like you're not afraid to think differently either. And I think that there is a shift that's happening in the culture of behavioral health and the culture of academia that people are realizing like, why are we, why are we doing the things that we're doing? We need to take a step back. And what is the point of our profession? It's to help. It's to advance science and knowledge and better communities and health. And that does not look like 
an article on PubMed all the time. Like it's, it's different. It's lived out. It's, it's being with the people. It's being with the community. It's experiencing all of these things that we talk about, you know, at school. So no, I couldn't have said it much better myself. Honestly, Bree, thank you so much. Any media outlets, I know we talked about YouTube channel and I'll put down all the links below oh, yeah. <laughs> for people to check out, but any other media outlets that you'd love to share with people? Yeah, I'm probably most active on Twitter. Uh, so that's Brianna A. Baker, B-R-I-A-N-N-A-A-B-A-K-E-R. -A 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 -E um, find me on there. Um, yeah, talking about a wide range of things. Um, I do have an Instagram becoming Dr. Baker, but I'll be honest, I'm horrible with Instagram and I will try and post every three to four months. Um, I think that's about it. Um, also my website, briannaabaker.com. Um, you can go there and check things out as well. Um, but the best place to find me is YouTube and Twitter. Awesome. I will definitely leave down the links below. And honestly, guys, definitely check it out, especially especially the YouTube channel. Honestly, you provide such good content. I love how open and, and genuine you are about your experience through grad school and also helping people to see like your personal perspective on what grad school could look like. And so I, I just think it's um, it's an awesome resource for people. Thank you. So, thank you. <laughs> and thank you again so much for uh, being with us today. Appreciate the oh, time. Thank you. I love being here. All right. <laughs>